the glory belongs to you. All the glory belongs to you, oh God. Let's sing it to him. All the glory. All the glory belongs to you. All the glory belongs to you, oh God. Let's say it again. Ah. All the glory belongs to you. All the glory belongs to you, oh God. Ah. Mm. Yeah. All the glory belongs to you. All the glory belongs to you, oh God. Now let me hear you say. Let me hear you say ha. Leg. Yeah. Say ha. Leg. Yeah. Say ha. Leg. belongs to you, oh God. Let's sing it to him. Hallelujah. All the glory. All the glory belongs. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Let's, let's say that to him again. All the glory. All the glory belongs. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Let's say it. All the glory belongs. Belong yeah. All the glory belongs to you, oh God. Yeah. Now let me hear you say. Let me hear you say ha. Leg. Loo. Yeah. Say ha. Leg. Loo. Yeah. Say ha. Leg. Loo. Yeah. Say ha, leg, new, yeah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Yahweh be praised. Yahweh, 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 all the glory. All the glory belongs to you, all the glory belongs to you, oh God, amen. Thank you, Jesus. It does belong to him. All the glory belongs to him. And he said he will not share his glory with nothing or nobody. Amen. But that's how he is. Well, welcome to church, everybody. Uh, welcome to church, everybody. And as we get ready to go into this word, this word is a word of self-reflection, looking into the mirror of the word. In fact, it's talking about you and us. Amen. And so, of course, these last several weeks I've been talking about things that we need not only for this phase, but 
the next phase, but also throughout our lives. And, and uh, when you go through a phase, good or bad, it means to experience or be in the midst of a temporary period of change or development. It's a stage in a process. But a phase like a season, it comes to pass, meaning that it does not last for a long duration of time. Amen. And time, whether you believe it or not, is not going to last forever. At some point, God is going to send Jesus back for his church, and then we're going to go back. Then he's going to come back again, and then he's going to go back, and then He's going to come back for a final time. So time is winding up. And as I've been saying, as you're a pastor, my job is not only to protect you, but to what? Prepare you. So I won't go into everything we covered, but I will say we have learned that we need to study the word of God so that we could rightly divide the word of truth. So that we could clearly say what the word says in a way, in a manner in which the word says it and could care less if no one accepts it. But we give it like God gave it. Amen. In other words, we don't pretty it up to fit into our culture. We go by what the word says. Amen. And then we also learned that we needed to pray. What is prayer? Prayer is turning our thoughts toward God. Amen. So as we continue, as we continue into where we're going and as the Holy Spirit has been leading, I don't know if you have noticed, but there is a strong spirit that has taken over the earth or in the earth, in this culture, right? And that spirit is the spirit of selfishness. Mm. The spirit of selfishness. Now, this spirit is not a new spirit. This spirit was released back in the Garden of Eden on the Genesis chapter 3. Hmm? But this spirit nowadays is using another vehicle in which to carry it. What is that spirit cloaked in? It's called rugged individualism. Rugged individualism. The spirit of selfishness is cloaked in what is called rugged individualism. Now, rugged individualism is the practice or advocacy of individualism in social and economic relations. It's the practice or advocacy of individualism in social and economic relations. It emphasizes personal liberty and independence and self-reliance, resourcefulness, and self-direction of the individual. It emphasizes personal liberty. Hmm. Now, Catherine Watson, who is an associate professor at Nieswanger Institute of Bioethics, wrote a piece for the Hastings Institute about rugged American individualism. She wrote, the starkest picture of rugged American individualism is one we learned in school. A family moves west to settle the land, but then begins to struggle with the elements. And, and, and yet, even in these depictions, settlers needed help to raise a barn or harvest crops. In other words, they were going out on their own to make it on their own, but yet and still they needed help. Amen. They drew on the help of others, but then they reciprocated that help. In the 21st century, few Americans live any way close to this largely self-sustaining lifestyle of rugged individualism. You hear it, but there are far and few between that live in this world or in this earth by themselves. Amen. But this myth of rugged individualism is strong and it is persistent. She goes on to say, the reality for all of us is that none survive or flourish without the help of others. Amen. 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 Whether it's a family member, 
a peer group, school, a religious institution, or the, or the wider community, all of us have been helped by somebody. Right. Amen. Right. Amen. Somewhere, someone has encouraged us, gave us a break, an opportunity, however big or small. Somebody gave you a job along the way. Amen. Amen. If you ever worked a day in your life. Somebody helped you out in school. Somebody gave you a dollar at some point in your life. Somebody put some lights over your head. Somebody put a house that you can go to bed in at some point in your life. Now, one of the myths of rugged individual, which is another term you hear, it means, it says this, pulling, up, pulling yourselves up by your own bootstraps. Hmm? And it's outdated and it's never completely accurate. The term originated shortly before the turn of the 20th century, but it came from a school book that had an example question. And that question is, was, why can not a man lift himself by pulling upon his bootstrap? Or why, can a man lift up, why can't a man lift himself up? Well, if you got it on a pair of boots or had on a pair of boots, the bootstrap is on the back of the boot. <laughs> How can you pull yourself up by your own bootstrap? It's physically impossible. Right? Right. That don't make good science, right? You can't pull yourself, and if you pull too hard, you might fall over. Amen. But see, pulling up your boot by your pulling up yourself by your own bootstrap was meant to be a sarcastic. Uh, term. Because as I said, it's impossible. She goes on to say, we have seen rugged individualism on full display during the coronavirus pandemic. <sighs> it can lead to a disregard for the worth and values of others. While many people have observed public health restrictions and guidelines, others, including some elected officials, Refuse and still are refusing to wear masks. And now people are refusing vaccination. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Those who cling to their individualism seem to view such restrictions as unnecessary or unacceptable, an infringement on their individual rights and freedoms, and this includes so-called believers. Amen. Amen. They seem, the believers seem to have forgotten the scripture that commands us to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Not to just look out for number one. Amen. People are unbelief, those believers are unwilling to sacrifice a degree of their freedom to protect not only themselves, but others. So the result of this selfishness Narcissistic, rugged individualism that caused is over 600,000 deaths and many, many more that are hospitalized and will be hospitalized. Amen. Amen. Now, this pandemic is an opportunity to reflect critically on our society while recognizing that our freedoms have been curtailed to protect others and ourselves from this nefarious viruses. Now, let me tell you this. This virus. Viruses are smart. The coronavirus will continue to alter itself to survive. Amen. It will continue. When you take the flu shot, and this has been, you know, years, a couple years ago, if you take the flu shot, there's always a report that says the flu shot that you have just taken may not be effective for the flu that's out now. Why? Because the strain has changed. It altered itself. The coronavirus is that way too. It will alter itself in order to try and to, to try and survive. But don't think about the coronavirus. When something comes upon us, we will alter our behavior in order to survive. Amen. So what I'm telling you is this. It's time to place less, less emphasis on the myth of rugged American individualism 
because it can turn into self-centeredness. Selfishness can turn into self-centeredness. And when you are self-centered, you only think about what? Yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and both of them work hand in hand. Selfishness and self-centeredness, they are, there are two qualities that describe people who have excessive interest and concern in themselves. So, okay, we're getting ready to get where we're going. All right? You're ready? Whether you have realized it or not, all of us have been culturally conditioned in the spirit of selfishness. It started back, way back when, and has been so slowly creeping itself into the culture. Amen. It, we have all been culturally conditioned in the spirit. Don't raise your hand. Let me give you an example. But how many of you have ever taken a selfie? You don't have to raise your hand. I'll raise mine. Because <laughs> I've taken a selfie. Not thinking what it actually really means. It seems fun. It is fun to show people yourself. However, what it does is turn the focus of the camera on to you. <laughs> right? <laughs> And without even knowing it, you have selfishly put the spotlight on you and your life and what you are doing, only concerned with your what? Self. And then when somebody in the back comes behind you, you call it a photobomb. Right? You don't want them in the picture because you want the picture to show only you. Amen. We have been culturally conditioned in the spirit of selfishness. See, the devil as the Bible describes him in Genesis chapter 3, as, well, the snake is the most subtle or the most uh, subtle, cunning creature of everything that God has made, that the Lord God had made. In other words, he creeps in little by little, little by little, Till you don't know how far you have moved away from where you need to be. And that is exactly what has happened with the spirit of selfishness. It creeped in little by little. Take care of yourself. Little by little. You don't need nobody to help you. Little by little. Look out for number one. Little by little. Make yourself happy. Little by little. You don't need to live with nobody else. Little by little. You don't need a man or a woman. You don't need to be married. Little by little. It has crept in. So in this phase and the next phase and beyond, we need, you need, to deal with the spirit of selfishness. Selfishness. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. That's where we're going to start. Say, I need to deal with the spirit of selfishness. Well, you say, Pastor, I ain't selfish. Well, just like everybody has been given a measure of faith, <laughs> the spirit of selfishness has been tapped into. Amen. Yeah. Now, in this scripture, in, in Philippians chapter 2, the apostle Paul identifies himself as the author of this letter. And even the most critical scholars agree. Now, let me tell you the difference between a letter and an epistle. A letter is to a specific person or a body. An epistle is to a group. Amen. Philippians is the book of joy. Paul wants God's saints to live in the joy of the Lord and his kingdom instead of just reacting to their circumstances. Now, what is joy? What does joy consist of? It consists of internal stability in spite of external circumstances. It consists of internal stability in spite of external circumstances. And Paul was particularly qualified to teach on the subject because he wrote this book from a prison cell. <laughs> he had joy, internal stability, in spite of external circumstances, in spite of being in prison. And those prisons were not fluffy like the ones we have. Amen. 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 There was no toilets in that prison. 
It was often dark, cold, and dingy, and those things running across were pets. Amen. <laughs> this letter, in part, is a thank you letter, but he also used the occasion for some correction to the Philippians. So this week's Bible study challenge is to read this letter to the Philippians. Amen. So we're going to start at chapter 2 and verse number 1, starting at verse number 1 through 5. It says this, if there, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that you be what? Like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Verse number three says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each, uh, let each esteem other better than themselves. Verse four says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of what? Others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, let me read it in the New Living, verse 3 through 5, in the New Living translation. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Verse 4 says, don't look, only for your, don't look out only for your own interest. Take an interest in others, too. Verse number 5 says, you must have the same attitudes that Christ had. Amen. Now, the New American Standard Bible says it this way. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay? Now, this is selfishness. It is the attitude of being concerned with one's own interests above the interests of others. It's being concerned with your own interests above the interests of others. But as the New American Standard pointed out, Paul compares selfishness to empty conceit. Empty conceit, which is a term that can be translated vanity or arrogance. Mm -hmm. Empty conceit can be a term that can be translated vanity or arrogance. It refers to an overly high opinion of oneself. Selfishness is akin to narcissism. Narcissism is an inordinate fascination with oneself. It's an excessive self-love. Narcissism produces the narcissist who is a person who is overly self-involved and often vain and selfish. Racism coupled with narcissism, narcissism gave us the 45th president of the United States. Racism paired with narcissism Self, selfish, selfish, selfishness, right? Gave us the 45th president of the United States. How? He tapped into our selfishness. And when I say our, I'm not talking about you or me. I'm talking about our. Amen. He tapped into something. Why? Because of our being culturally conditioned to be selfish. And he tapped in that selfishness as a narcissist, and that the narcissist gave push to selfishness. Amen. All right. Y'all all right? Yes, sir. Selfishness or empty conceit is often expressed by building up oneself while tearing down someone else. It's expressed by building up yourself and tearing down somebody else. I'm just talking about what I'm talking about. I'm just pointing out what the Bible has said. Amen. Galatians 5, 19-2, and you don't have to turn there. And the New King James says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, 
sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, and heresy. Now, selfish ambition is the Greek word erethia. 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 I'm sorry. Erethia. And that word is regressed from denoting it came from an honorable work. <laughs> Amen. Originally, it meant a field worker or a reaper than anyone working for pay or a hireling. Then it later described a person who was only concerned with his or her own welfare, a person susceptible to being bribed, an ambitious, self-willed person seeking for opportunities for promotion. Now, selfish ambition goes on to say it became electioneering. A party, a partisan, factitious spirit that will resort to any method for winning followers. Does that sound familiar? Selfish ambition is the work of the flesh doing anything to win followers. It is a work of the flesh. And if you are working in the flesh, you cannot be led by the spirit. And according to James 3.16, selfishness or empty conceit leads to disorder and every evil practice. Hmm. According to Psalm 78.18, selfishness caused the children of Israel to willfully put God to the test by demanding the food that they craved instead of the food that God gave them. That sounds like a whole lot of us. Instead of receiving what God gave us, we want something that we want. And want to throw what God gave us back at him. Amen. Mm. I ain't leaving. I ain't parking there. Amen. But according to Matthew 19, according to Matthew 19, 21, 22, selfishness caused the rich young ruler to turn his back on Jesus. He caused him to turn his back on. He was caught up in what he had, wanting to keep what he had, that he turned out the living son of God and the offer that he gave him. Talking about sell everything, get rid of everything and follow me. The Israelite ruler said, no, I can't do that. What does that say? He could not give up what the world offered for what Jesus offered. We have to be careful because the spirit of selfishness will, would have us to want what we have here and now instead of what we can have in the future. It will affect your future. Hmm. So you need to deal with it. So I'm going to tell you how to do it, all right? I'm going to tell you how to deal with the spirit of selfishness. Number one. You need to acknowledge your sin of selfishness. <laughs> Admit that you have been a selfish person and repent before the Lord. Now, I know that may make one to say ouch, because we don't like looking at ourselves. But don't look at yourselves from the world's point of view. Look at yourself from the mirror of the word. Now, let's be honest. All of us Look out for ourselves, right? Self-preservation is what they call it. But you need to acknowledge your sin of selfishness. Let's go to 1 John, and this is how you acknowledge it, and then work through it. Amen. 1 John 1, verses 5 through 10. You need to acknowledge your sin of selfishness, because selfishness is a sin, because it's a what? Work of the flesh. And work of the flesh is a sin. Amen. Amen. So selfishness is a sin. Selfishness gives way to the sin of pride. Pride goes before destruction and the Holy Spirit before a fall. It's steeped in pride in yourself. It's all right to pat yourself on the back sometimes. It's all right. But when you get caught up and that's all you want, you need to check yourself. Amen. You need to acknowledge your sin of selfishness. Verse 5 says, 
This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no what? Darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then or we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us all, cleanses us from all sin. Verse eight says, if we say that we have no sin. <laughs> if we say that we have no sin, how do you do that? By looking down at somebody else's sin and, and thumbing your nose at them. If we say we have what? No sin. We do what? Deceive ourselves. Or another translation says, are fooling ourselves. And the truth is not in us. However, if we what? Confess our sins. He is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins. And to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make who a liar? We make him a liar, and guess what? His word is not what? In us. All people are sinners by nature and practice. Let me say that. All people are sinners by nature and practice. David told us. He said in, in Psalm, he talked about it was already in us. I was conceived in sin, right? So all people, all human beings on the earth, are by nature, are sinners by nature and practice. But at conversion, all your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. Yet, even though you become a believer, you still sin and need to confess those sins. Now, now this is where this is where this in, the important part. Because even though I said earlier that uh, when you receive Jesus as your Savior, the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all your sin. This is the important part. The confession of your sin is not offered to gain God's acceptance, but it's to remove the barrier to fellowship that your sin has put between you and him. Your sin puts a barrier in between your relationship with God. That's why it's important to confess your sin. Not to gain God's acceptance, but to get back to the fellowship that you so vitally need, especially here today. We are living at a day and in a time where it's vitally important to have your connection to God strong as it can be in the day that we're living in. We are living through perilous times, times that we have never lived through before, going through things we never faced before, and now you need to know that you know that you know. That your calling and your election is sure. Because you need to remember that we were, we were reminded last week that God is holy and he must be honored as holy. Right? God has not changed. He's always been holy. He is holy and he always will be holy. Amen. And we need to, we need to honor him as that. And we do that by confessing our sins. Why? Because he is faithful and just to forgive us, but we have to confess them. In other words, we must come clean to God. <laughs> and when you treat him as holy or honor him as holy, you treat him as unique and in a class all by himself. Well, how do you know that he's a class by himself? He's the uncreated creator. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> He's uncreated. He's an uncreated creator. Yeah. <laughs> he was he was before time was God was. Amen. Amen. We may not ever find out how he came to be, but in this life, I really don't care. <laughs> but all I know is when I see him, I'm going to be like him. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. But I do know it's, 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 it's hard and difficult to admit 
yours, and it's hard to admit my shortcomings to God, too, because we like to think we all got it together. <laughs> but combating the sin of selfishness requires genuine humility because it, it restores and grows your relationship with God. And it takes humility and honesty to recognize your weaknesses, but most of us would rather pretend that we are strong. Hmm? And guess what? You don't need to fear revealing your sins to God. Why? He already knows. <laughs> but if you come to him humbly and honestly, he'll restore you and draw you closer to him. And right now we need to be as close to God as we can get and still live on this earth. Amen. You need to get honest with your God and acknowledge that I have been party to selfishness. Number two, you need to fill your heart with the word. We've been talking about the word. You need to fill your heart with the word. You need to study and meditate on the scriptures that addresses the selfish spirit and promote the demonstration of love. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. Amen. Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse number 12 and 13. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. It says this, for the word of God is quick or alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts or the innermost thoughts and desires and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now, it's, it's quick and it is powerful. I want to focus on the word powerful. The word powerful is the word Greek word energies. E-N-E-R-G-E-S. It's comparable to the meaning of the English word energetic, which stems from this word. Energies denotes something at work. It's active, and it's, in, and it's effective. God's word is active, and it's, and it's effective, and it's at work. Amen. It is the opposite of idle, inactive, and ineffective. God's word is not simply a collection of words from God or a vehicle just for communicating ideas. It is living, life-changing, and it's dynamic as it works in you. Amen? It's living, it's life-changing, and the word is dynamic as it works in you. How can the word work in you? If you let the word work in you. And then you work out the word. Amen. You have to let it work in you. It's, the word of God is the oak of God planted in the forest of eternity with its roots entwined around the rock of ages. Amen. God's word works for you and his word discerns or distinguishes what is within you, good or evil. See, the, the, what the problem people, the reason why people don't want to read or study God's word is this. The word requires decisions. <laughs> when you read the word, that means you will now be held accountable for what you have read. The problem with the culture today, nobody wants to be held accountable. We want all the benefits and all the promises, but we don't want to be held accountable doing our part. Let that stay there. We don't want to be, we live in a culture nowadays that don't want to be held accountable for nothing. That's the real deal. You know, I'm going to use this as an illustration. That when we were growing up, we used to play basketball, brother gathers, or football, or whatever the case may be. Everybody didn't get a trophy for just being there. <laughs> 
there had to be someone who won the game and somebody who lost the game to try it next year. <laughs> That's the problem. Everybody wants a participation trophy, but nobody wants to put in the work or the discipline that it requires to win the trophy. And that's the same with believers today. We have to put in the work and let the word work in us so that we can do what God called us to do in these times. But instead, we wrap the word around the culture instead of the, I mean, we wrap the culture around the word. Amen. And cover the word and live by the culture standards. You must not only listen to the word of God, read the word of God, but you almost need you all you all you also need to let it shape your life. Mm. And I want to make this perfect, I mean crystal clear as I can get. Verse 13, and it says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest. Or another word says, another translation says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. Nothing, absolutely nothing is hidden from God. He knows about everyone everywhere. And everything that's a, about you is wide open to his all-seeing eyes because, as I've said many times, nothing happens that happens that God does not know about. Amen. He sees all you do and knows all you think even when you are unaware or acknowledge his presence. In fact, Psalm 139, verse 1, 2, and then 7 through 10 says this. It says, in New King James, it says, Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. Past tense. You know my sitting down and rising up. You understand my thought afar off. It goes on to say, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere all the time. Even in the midst of the hurricane, he was there. In the midst of the fires in California, he's there. In the floods in New York City and beyond, he's there. In the tornadoes that haven't come yet, he's going to be there too. God is everywhere at all times. Amen. But the best thing about it is, the comforting, most comforting thing I know to tell you is this. He knows you intimately. Yet he still loves you. <laughs> he knows your secret thoughts. He knows those actions that you take that you think nobody see you doing. And yet, he still loves you. Yet, he still loves me. Thank God for that. <laughs> I don't know about. If, I, if there's never, if there's no place else in this message, in this word, that you clap, you need to clap at this point that God still loves you. Say it to yourself, God still loves me in spite of me. Hallelujah. Grace beyond understanding. Yeah. I, quit I quit trying to figure out God. <laughs> I just let God be God and me be me, and I'm just working trying to be a, a vessel for him. Amen. I'm, 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 I'm done with that because it leads to frustration and futility and you're wasting your time. Amen. You need to let God be God. The one thing God knows that we don't, God knows that he's not human. Yeah. 
<laughs> but human beings don't know that they ain't God. They try to act like it. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Last thing you need to do is constantly look to the cross of Jesus. Why? It's a wonderful example. Amen. Let's go to 1 John, back to 1 John chapter 3. And this is going to be the last scripture for today. 1 John that we have to turn to. Let me put that in there. 1 John chapter 3. Amen. I'll give you a minute to get there. 1 John is before 2 John. <laughs> and it's before 3 John too. Amen. But if you get to the book of Revelation, you have gone past 1 John. Now let me tell you that much. <laughs> 1 John chapter 3. You need to cons constantly, consistently look to the cross of Jesus as a beautiful, wonderful example and reminder of what selflessness looks like. Verse number 16, verse 3 says, Hereby we perceive, hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? I read it in the New Living Translation. It says, if someone has enough money to live well, and sees his brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God love be in that person? Hmm. Verse 18 says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and what? Here John gave his readers and giving us a positive example of the ultimate expression of love. He also says in John chapter 15, verse 13, greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friend. Jesus laid down his life for us. They didn't take it. He laid it down. Because remember, he is the son of God. God's only begotten son. In fact, he's a part of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If Jesus wanted to, he could have called down the legion of angels. But instead, he laid down his life for us. He was not forced to do it. It was a voluntary, willing action. And that is important because real love is an action, not a feeling. Real love is an action, not a feeling. It's not only a noun, but it's a verb. It's not a, that's not only a feeling, it's an action. It produces selfless, sacrificial giving. And the greatest act of love is giving oneself for others. How can you do that? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> and, this is, and, this, and this is when, and this really takes you being connected to God and disconnected from the culture to get. You do that by serving others with no thought of receiving anything in return. That's hard. It's got quiet. <laughs> when I wrote it and I read it and wrote it, I said, oh, ouch. Because we're taught. <laughs> if I do something, that means you owe me. Mm -hmm. You have to do that by serving others with no thought of receiving anything in return. And if you do that, then God will be able to bless you in return. I would rather have the blessing from God than a blessing from man. Because God's going to see to it that you're taken care of. Even when you don't know that he's taking care of you, even when you don't recognize that he's taking care of you, God is going to take care of his own. 
if you serve others without regard of yourself and not expecting to receive something from somebody. You do it because God gave you the opportunity and has blessed you to be able to do it. Amen. It's sometimes <laughs> it's easier to say that you will die for others than to truly live for them because it involves putting others, others' desires for yourself. When you die, you die once. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but when you help others, sometimes it's go over and over again, and sometimes people don't accept it, and sometimes people will do you wrong, do like the children of Israel. Well, I didn't want that. I wanted this one. <laughs> One of the things that we're doing as, as a part of the NAACP is working through the Pandemic Health Navigator. And one of the clients and what we do and what they do is through the health department, they send us people with resource requests. And sometimes those resource requests, people need uh, groceries because they've quarantined or isolated because they have COVID. Well, this one resource request in particular, this lady said, I need groceries, I need this, this, and that, but I only get my meats from Snooks. <laughs> <laughs> what? We're trying to give you free food. <laughs> and you're going to specify that you only take meats from this place. Instead of being grateful for receiving, you want, she wants to be particular and could have possibly missed out on a blessing. Well, don't look down your nose. We do that all the time. God, I'm believing you for this, but it didn't come this way, and it wasn't this. And now, God, I, where you at? Right. <laughs> Just because it's fixed up in a way that you didn't see it don't mean God didn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. All right? So in this phase and the next phase and for the rest of your life, you need to deal with the spirit of selfishness, and that's going to be a lifelong Endeavor, because we are inundated by a spirit of selfishness. We hear it on the news. We hear it in the songs. We, we watch it where we work, and we see it in people that we've been around, and that spirit is easy to jump on you because you get tired, and you don't feel like going. You don't feel like doing this and you don't because you're tired. We have to watch for that spirit. So we do that by acknowledging our sin of selfishness every day. We need to fill our heart with the word every day. We need to be constantly and consistently looking at the cross every day. Amen. Amen. Thank God for his word. We need to deal with the spirit of selfishness. Amen. The most and, and, and the best thing that we can do 